This is the Visible Hand, Special Job Market Edition. My name is Jordi Blanes y Vidal. My guest today is Virginia Mini, who is a PhD student and job market candidate at the Department of Economics at the LSE. Today we are going to talk about her job market paper, Making the Invisible Hand Visible, Managers and the Allocation of Workers to Jobs. Virginia, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to be talking today about my job market paper. Virginia, this paper studies the role that middle managers can play in affecting firm productivity, and it is part of a booming literature looking at the different channels through which uh, middle managers matter. You will tell us in a second about the specific mechanism that you focus on in this paper, but before that, can you discuss what are the other mechanisms that the literature has uncovered so far? Yeah, sure. So precisely to place this paper in the literature, this is part of an active uh, research area that looks at the importance of good management for worker and firm performance. So it is now been established as a robust relationship that managers are important in determining productivity. What we know less about is about the channels. And theoretically, we can think that there are many different things that managers can be doing, especially with respect to workers. For example, they could be monitoring workers, they could be motivating them, or they could be allocating them to different jobs, or even teaching them on how to be better on the job. So we could think of many different mechanisms. At the moment, the literature hasn't really disentangled all of them. What we know more is that managers are indeed important in increasing productivity of the worker and also of firms and organizations more generally, even in the public sector. What is the mechanism that you focus on in this study? The study is going to highlight a potential key role of managers in allocating diverse workers in terms of their skills to different jobs inside the same organization. So it's a matching role of workers to jobs. So you, you mentioned earlier the literature. I was wondering whether there is a link here with one of the papers that came in an earlier episode of this podcast, which is Advaryu Kala and Nisanham. I'm probably not pronouncing these names properly. So this is a paper in which there are shocks to worker productivity and the managers are playing the role of reacting to these shocks and then switching workers to tasks in order to mitigate the negative effects of these shocks. Is this something similar to what you are doing here? It's definitely closely related, especially the mechanism and the idea of the visible hand of managers reallocating workers to different tasks in order to increase their productivity. So that's precisely the channel that I'm going to highlight when looking at, instead of tasks, I'm looking at jobs and so changing jobs and potentially how much that can impact workers' career in the longer run and also firm productivity. So the difference between uh, tasks and jobs is that maybe like jobs are like bundles of tasks, whereas uh, tasks can be like a, you know, like a, a subset of a job in that maybe I'm doing this thing, but tomorrow I might be doing something else. Is this the, is the, the way that you think about the, the difference between jobs and, and tasks? Precisely. I think uh, jobs can be, think as, can be thought of as the bigger margin in terms of, you know, changing a bundles of different tasks, exactly as you're saying. And so it could, be, it could be thought of as the kind of biggest change you can do in terms of the different tasks uh, you, you can basically play during, you, during your job. One thing to say is that unlike uh, most of the literature so far, including that paper, the setting that I'm going to be studying here is a setting where there is a lot of job diversity. 
And so people can be really doing a lot of different tasks and jobs. For example, you could be working in finance or you could be working in research and development all inside the same organization. So to some extent, changing job can be much a much bigger change compared to changing tasks, even if you remain in the same organization, which is basically the labor market of a very large multinational firm. We are going to go in a second into the actual setting, the multinational firm, etc. But just give us a feeling about how this is supposed to work. There is a, like a, a worker and then a new manager arrives. And then the manager realizes, wait a second, this worker is like uh, her talents are being wasted doing this. And she's actually terrible at doing this. Instead, she should be doing this other thing for which is particularly well suited. This is something that obviously workers don't have uh, tattooed on their foreheads. What, you know, they, are, they have a competitive advantage at. But then with the personal relation, the manager can figure that out. That's, that's the idea here? Exactly. It's precisely the idea. And so just actually to go back to uh, the previous paper that you were mentioning, here uh, what I'm uh, proposing is uh, the role of managers in discovering actually hidden talents of these workers and then utilizing them better by directing them to the most suitable job inside the organization. And so this is about discovering proclivities or aptitudes of the workers rather than maybe adapting like the worker schedule to shocks of the environment that, for example, pollution could lay. So this is more about young workers finding their place in the labor market and how to best enable their talent to flourish in the organization by potentially avoiding wasting it in jobs that where there isn't a good match or fit and actually putting them in the best place where they can utilize their natural talents. So this uh, empirical setting here is like a, a, as you said, a large multinational firm. Can you describe the main elements of this firm? Sure. So this is a very large multinational, one of the largest in the world, and it's a consumer goods firm. So you can think of soap, for example, as, a, as the main product. Uh, now, what is interesting about the multinational and it's actually very common among large organizations is that in the same firm, you can do many different things. And in particular, there are 14 different functions. The biggest six are going to be uh, sales, finance, marketing, research and development and supply chain. Now, the multinational basically has uh, offices all around the world. And what I'm going to be able to observe is the full population of white-collar workers over the last 10 years. You said 14 different functions. Obviously, this firm is enormous. So a function doesn't seem as if it was going to very accurately describe what these workers or managers are actually uh, doing. Uh, tell us about the like subdivisions along these lines and also from a vertical perspective, you know, what happens as workers progress and then how many workers there are and so on. Absolutely. So let me start uh, to add more details on the kind of horizontal job differentiation. So once you go finer, so within a function, you can also have many different sub-functions. For example, in human resources, you can be working in the data analytics team and so analyzing survey data, or you can be working in the uh, payroll team, so to organize people's salaries. Within a sub-function, then you can also do different jobs. And so overall, if you want to put some number, there are 1,000 horizontally differentiated jobs inside the company. And just, just to give you a sense of the setting, the most two common jobs are sales, so being a sales worker, so interacting really with customers, and being a scientist or a chemical engineer in the product development team, and so to develop new products. 
This is the horizontal job differentiation. And then there is a very clear hierarchy. And the advantage of using data from the same multinational is that uh, a lot of things are held constant across countries and offices. So for example, every country has the same type of functions and also the same hierarchy through which you can progress. Uh, in particular, at the bottom of the hierarchy, you would find the white collar workers work level one. And then there are six work levels in total, where the sixth work level is the C-suite. So where you would have the CEO and the executive team. The focus of this project is going to be on the frontline workers. So this is the work level one workers and how they're supervised by the middle managers, which are the work level two managers in this firm. So these are really the middle managers. Now, this is a population that um, is actually very large in terms that if you look at the managerial workforce, 80% of the managers are work level two managers. What basically you can have also is within a given work level, you can increase your salary in terms of your salary grade. And so you can also basically have higher pay for people in the same job because of a higher salary grade. So there is also basically finer hierarchies within a given work level that, that consist of salary grades. So you say that there are 12 uh, salary grades. Is this 12 in total or 12 for each of the work levels? It's 12 in total. So maybe there is, there is like a couple on average per work level. Exactly. In particular, the salary grade becomes less and less important as you go up the hierarchy, especially for the work level fives and six. So these are really the people at the top excellence of the firm. And a lot of their package is also bonuses and shares. And so, you know, other ways of getting compensation rather than just your salary. But the salary grades really apply mainly to the work level one, the work level twos and the work level threes. So here we are going to forget about levels three to six and everything is going to be about the relation between the workers in the level one, who are the, who we're going to call the workers and the workers in the level two, who we are going to call the middle managers, correct? Exactly. And then I presume that every worker in the level one or almost every worker has as a supervisor somebody in the level two. Exactly. Exactly. Or, or if he doesn't withdraw them from the sample, it doesn't matter. These people are not looked at. Yeah, but that's something exactly very constant. Team size is around five workers, and it's also something decided by headquarters and kind of held constant across countries and offices and functions. So every worker is supervised by a work level two manager. But a new manager that arrives to do something in a particular unit or within a some function or something, she cannot go and ask for a bigger budget to hire an additional person or something like that. Like the number of people under that work, under that manager is held constant? Precisely. Team size is really decided by uh, the kind of HR and it's a firm-wide policy. And so I actually had a, at some point from uh, team size as, a, as an outcome, but there's no change there. And that's actually because it's something determined by headquarters and common policy. So what type of variables can you measure for this company? Yes. So... I assembled uh, rich data from a variety of sources. So the main focus is going to be on the personal data, which is the administrative records of these workers inside the organization. In particular, what I can observe is exactly the job title each worker is doing in each particular month in the firm. So by looking at that, I can basically determine promotions, so vertical uh, transitions and also lateral transitions, so changing job without changing salary. Moreover, I can observe exit from the firm and whether that is a quit, so like a voluntary exit versus uh, involuntary exits. 
And I'm also going to be able to observe objective productivity data for a subset of uh, workers, which is going to be the sales population in India. So probably we're going to go into more details later. And obviously, I can also observe salary and their salary grade inside the organization. And a bunch of other things that maybe we will touch upon because there's like survey of this, survey of that, you know, but obviously you didn't have time to mention them all, but... Yes, no, absolutely. Yes. And there are basically a number of kind of digital platforms that uh, are a recent innovation in the firm that are also going to be useful to understand more the behavioral mechanism as well as survey outcomes for these workers to understand more, uh, you know, their well-being and how, how satisfied they are in the firm. So the objective here is to show that managers are creating value or enhancing productivity in this specific firm by identifying, as you were saying, the talents of their workers and then reassigning workers to jobs or bundles of tasks that are best suited uh, for these talents. How do you show that? Precisely. So uh, the empirical strategy is going to look at managers' transitions uh, across uh, teams uh, out of a managerial rotation policy inside the organization. And uh, and then it's going to look at what happens when the worker is shocked by a manager of better quality. So the definition of manager quality is uh, basically something that really comes by interacting with the company and trying to understand who they would identify as a good manager. And this is a measure of promotion feed inside the organization. So what this means is looking at the age at which each manager, so each work level too, became so. And because of data confidentiality, I actually only observed 10-year age bands. And so what I'm going to do is uh, determine whether a manager became so below the age of 30, before turning 30. And that just comes by looking at the data and observing that most managers become so in their 30s, so after turning 30. And by using this cutoff, 30% or 29% of my managers are going to be defined as high flyers, just to use a term that really try to give the idea of promotion speed. So this is going to be my measure of manager quality, which I want to stress is a measure that it's independent of the worker outcomes. And so this is looking at managers that are recognized by the firm as particularly productive. Now, the question of the paper is going to be what impact they have on the workers that they supervise. So it's a binary measure. So basically what I'm going to compare is transition of going from a low flyer manager to a high flyer manager. And I'm going to be benchmarking that against moving from a low flyer to another low flyer manager. So in particular, you could think that changing manager could have impact on team performance. And so in order to net out any effect due to the manager transition, I'm going to be benchmarking the effects of moving from a low to a high flyer against also moving managers, but without changing manager quality. So the first transition that you can look is what I'm going to call gaining a high flyer. And so that is moving from a low to a high flyer versus a low to another low flyer. And then you can also look at the reverse transition, which is losing a high flyer. And so that would mean going from a high flyer to a low flyer against moving from a high flyer to another high flyer. The two transitions are not necessarily symmetric. And so we're going to probably speak about that. 
Let me first focus on gaining a high flyer. And so here uh, I'm going to look at basically all the outcomes that I collected. And first of all, I document that upon moving to a better manager, the worker is much more likely to reallocate internally inside the organization. By reallocating internally, I mean lateral transfers that don't involve a change in salary. And these lateral transfers are scattered throughout the organization when looking at the specific uh, matrices of transitions. And moreover, they're also more likely to be task distant. What I mean by task distant is that uh, you could move, for example, from HR to R&D. The second set of results then are going to be looking at the performance of these workers. And so what I find is that these workers are much more likely to earn higher pay, first of all, and these uh, gains persist up to seven years after. That's the length of the time window I can look at because of the length of my panel data. So up to seven years after the uh, manager's shock. And just to put some number, workers uh, earn 30% higher income uh, seven years after the manager transition. I can also look at variable pay and the increase is even larger. It's uh, in, the, in the orders of magnitude of 100% increase. Now, variable pay is um, not very consequential for a person's salary. For these workers, it's usually between 10 to 15% of your salary. Uh, and it's basically the annual bonus. Let me let me just uh, put like a, a, a pin here. I'm sure that there are other. I know that there are other like uh, dependent variables that you look at. But before my mind goes, let me ask you a, a couple of questions about the things that you have said so far. I mean, just to summarize, so you are obviously controlling for the fact that the worker have a change in manager, uh, and now um, you are looking at the quality of the incoming manager as measured by whether the incoming manager was promoted. Uh, from work level one to work level two before 30. Exactly. Right? Uh, and also controlling for the fact that the previous manager was of low quality in, say, at least one of the regressions. So my first question uh, has to do with the measure of the quality of the manager that you have here. So these are people that are promoted before the age of 30 to be managers, which means that they were not managers before being promoted to being managers. Exactly. So we know from, say, work by Benson, Lee, and Shu that very often those who are promoted early are rewarded for being good at their current jobs as opposed to being good at their future jobs. Specifically, this is a type of a quality that you are measuring, which is a, the, the matching of the workers to jobs that clearly will not have been revealed in their previous work level one assignment because they didn't have those opportunities to match workers with jobs. So what do you expect is really the correlation here between uh, having this, you know, up to that point, hidden ability of making these particularly good matches and whatever else that they were doing as good workers. Yeah, precisely. So one thing I want to say as a start is that indeed because of the Peter principle, you know, my results could be a downward bias of the potential positive effect of good managers just because some of these high flyers might actually not that be that good as a manager because of the Peter principle. And so that would lead to a downward bias of my results. Now, in terms of how the company works and how promotions work, so promotions need to be approved by a talent forum where precisely you basically identify the uh, potential of uh, workers to be in a particular role or to be promoted as uh, managers. And one of the particular um, KPI that is assessed among eight, one of them is to be a talent catalyst. 
And that is defined by the firm in terms of magnifying the power of people inside the organizations. Now, these workers, uh, while workers, you know, before becoming managers, uh, obviously are not managers, but they are responsible for projects that could entail also managing, you know, a, a set of stakeholders, maybe at the same rank. So without being, you know, their bosses, but still leading projects to their completion as part of their day to day job. And so there are a lot of opportunities that workers have, you know, while working to showcase their potential to actually be managers rather than workers. So you, you were mentioning uh, downward bias. But the kind of correlation that I had in mind was something more along the lines of uh, having certain types of individuals who are benefited uh, within this like very bureaucratic hierarchical system and that also manage to get things done for their subordinates. You know, like this is like an enormous firm. Obviously, you have spoken with them. The hope is that merit is identified by this committee well and everything, but Um, A cynical view of how these big organizations work is that um, there are certain individuals with certain demographics or certain set of connections or something that are fast-tracked, but they also have more power to do things, get things done for their subordinates. And this is what is creating the job transfers, maybe vertically, maybe associated with an increase in salary and so on. That's a great point, and that's precisely a, a common concern. So there are uh, three points that I want to make here. First uh, is uh, that uh, when uh, looking at these managers, uh, they're not more likely to send out workers in what I call socially connected places. So moving workers, for example, to their friends. And what I look basically is uh, transitions within a manager network where I define a manager network by all the previous colleagues that a manager interacted before encountering a given worker. So I don't find that the differential lateral moves uh, are driven by differential lateral moves within the social network. And also when looking at baseline averages, they're not more likely to have greater connections to compared to the low flyers. Now, um, in terms of, um, you know, maybe these managers can just inflate workers' pay without increasing performance, I think it's going to be very important to look at the performance results, where on top of the sales productivity, I'm also going to have, I'm also going to be able to look at the productivity of the universe of establishments of the firm and look at output per worker and cost per output in the establishment. So these are the kind of quantitative metrics that the firm and common manufacturing firms use, common KPIs among manufacturing firms in order to measure performance of a site. So, you know, if it's just uh, um, moving workers around with no particular purpose or to increase their pay, I shouldn't be able to find effects on, on productivity. The last thing I want to say is on the moves, uh, they're not more likely to be to certain specific places inside the organization. So, for example, you might think, oh, maybe there are some jobs that everybody wants to do. And then these good managers are just more powerful and then they can just move their workers to these particular jobs. I find that actually there's no systematic patterns in this move and they're quite scattered throughout the organization, including a higher chance of being moved to a different function and so a high task, high task distance. So the other question that I have here was about uh, identification. Uh, so one way of interpreting what you have just told us is, is as follows. The workers at the level one 
are assigned to jobs in a way that is incredibly endogenous, at least for some of them, because their specifically talents are identified and then they are matched with specific jobs that fit perfectly well the requirements and so on. But at the level two, that doesn't happen at all. That is, the movements, the rotations between managers and, and positions are completely exogenous. And that is what is creating your source of identification. Do you see why maybe there is a little bit of a mismatch, I'm abusing the word here, mismatch here between how we expected these, these movements between workers and jobs to take place at two contiguous levels of the organization? Yeah, and that's also a great point. And so let me tell you a bit more about the rotation. So the firm is interested for managers in training them by getting them exposed to different projects. And actually, these rotations of managers are usually within an area of work, so within a sub-function. So you actually basically change team without dramatically changing the type of job you do, but mostly encountering different people and doing different projects. Now, the reason is twofold, actually. One is to train these managers to actually, you know, become better. And the second is then to screen who will be a good director, which is the work level three, so the next level. So the core objective for the firm is to use rotations where actually as a manager, you will need to experience all of the different teams within a given area of work. Now, the trade-off of the firm is obviously kind of an exploration versus exploitation trade-off, you know, as we would say more kind of in the literature. And this trade-off basically it balanced different, differently in different levels of the hierarchy. So for the work level tools, is really the idea of understanding who would be a, a good work level free. So a good director who then is, is much more responsible in terms of budget decisions and, uh, you know, strategic moves of the team and the unit overall. For the work level ones, what the firm really cares about is uh, uh, exploration trade-off, is exploring again the worker skills and understanding where they are best inside the organization. One thing that should be taking into account is that most of workers, most of white-collar workers actually remain so throughout their lives. So most workers don't become managers. And so it is really important, actually fundamentally important for these work level ones to be in the right place, in the right horizontal place where they can have a meaningful contribution to the organization. And, and just to go back to the kind of different trade-offs at different la layers of the hierarchy, when you then go to directors, which is not the subject of this study, but their exploitation becomes much more important and the length of assignment in a given team or here is a unit for directors is going to be much longer. And so there is where the firm really cares about, uh, you know, utilizing that good uh, match of the director with the job. But um, overall, one thing that should be stressed is the moves of the, the kind of lateral moves of these uh, managers of the rotation uh, policy are uh, somewhat different than the moves of the workers in that they're basically changing team within a given area of work. While for the worker, it could be changing job even in a different function, so in a very different area of work. So I can see what the broad logic for the rotation policy is. So this is not... This is something that you mentioned in the paper. It's good that, you know, they do different jobs and at some point and so, and so on. My question is, is more uh, along the lines of the details, if you want. Of course, 
It's not, it's not so easy to identify a rule because the organization is so big that it is unlikely that there is going to be a rule that applies everywhere, right? Even if there were a lot of sub rules within specific, but you know, something, something that you could tell me that would be such a rule would be something along the lines of whenever the managers are promoted to level two, they have to spend exactly 18 months in the sales function. And then they have to move to the marketing function or the operations function where they will spend 12 months. You know, like that rule I understand. Now, I, as I said, it's difficult, you know, to, I mean, I, I can see that it's unlikely to, you know, to, to be able to find this rule applying everywhere. But in the absence of this rule, one issue is that within the broad guidelines of the firm, the managers at the level three may say, you know, manager level two, you had to at some point move to sales. That sales team is underperforming or something. I know that you are a high, high flyer or something, you know? So now we are going to put you there. And then you start dealing with issues like uh, mean reversion and, you know, other type of issues that may apply here. So let me address this point. So first of all, in terms of a rule, the average length of assignment, and there is actually not not deviation from that. So uh, I cannot even do heterogeneity analysis on length of assignment is two years. And so that's precisely the idea that the time you should spend in a given place. So everybody spends exactly two years. Exactly. Around two years. Exactly. Yeah. The second thing is that uh, I can do a lot of empirical checks to basically kind of validate this anecdotal evidence. And the first check is something, I think, along the lines of your concern, which is I can look at manager assignment and if the team performance and team characteristics more generally predict the future type of manager you can get in your team. So this would, you know, we could call them endogenous mobility checks in the literature. And what I find is that on a broad range of outcomes, I think I test, I test around 15 outcomes at the team level. So because, you know, the assignment is at the team level. I don't find that uh, the previous team performance or characteristics, for example, even diversity in the team, you know, you could construct different numbers of predictors that this predicts uh, the type of manager, whether you get a high flyer or a low flyer. Now, the second thing uh, is that uh, my identification strategy is going to be a bit more sophisticated rather than just looking at uh, the impact of a rotation in the sense that I have worker fixed effects and month fixed effects in all my regressions. So it's an event study where I basically track the worker performance and how that changes upon changing manager. Now here, then it's very important to understand that the identification assumption is, is much weaker in the sense that what I need is that prior to transitions, workers are on the same career trajectories. And so it's an identification on the trend. And what's nice about the event studies, then I'm, I'm going to be able to look at these pre-trends for all my outcomes and to see if effectively I find um, weird patterns in how these workers were performing before uh, changing to a given manager. Um, the other question that I had uh, was respect to what these managers are doing, right? So you said earlier that the teams ha- are here of an average size of five people or something, you know, um, and that this is fixed. This is fine. Let's imagine that it was two people, okay, two, two subordinates, just for the sake of the argument, no? The mechanism that you are uh, emphasizing is one in which the two members of the team at the work level one are doing different things, therefore they have different job titles. So let's just say that one of them is doing sales and the other one is doing operations. I know this is not going to be the case, but... So now the new manager arrives and looks at the team and says, okay, wait a second. 
you are here doing sales, but you are terrible at talking to people. Uh, you are doing operations, uh, but you are really bad at details. Now I switch you back and forth and both of them, both of uh, you became more productive. That's, you know, that's the, the mechanism that we are trying to disentangle here. Another possibility is that what the team is doing is different. Okay. So for instance, imagine that we have like a sales team and the new manager arrives and what this sales team is doing is knocking on doors, okay, through neighborhoods and trying to, you know, like a sell a, a washing machine to whoever opens the door. The new manager is a high flyer, so so she ha has realized uh, in the past that nowadays you don't sell that way, that well, that way. You instead you should call people on the phone or you know or send emails to people or something. Now suddenly what the team is doing is different, and therefore the job titles have changed. That's a lateral job transfer, but. It's not a result of the manager identifying um, that particular workers are particularly well suited to specific tasks, but just reorganizing production. Yeah, and that's a great point. And so like changing the organizational structure, like the team structure in some sense. So this is something I look at directly in the sense that I look at whether upon changing manager, the team has a different number of jobs being created or jobs destroyed. So this I can look very clearly because I can look at the job title and whether this job title never appeared before the manager and then appears upon the transition. And similarly, I can look at whether a job is destroyed. So a job basically never uh, comes up again after a given transition. Uh, and I don't find evidence of that. So I don't find uh, any effect on basically a new job being created or uh, a job being destroyed. I also check, uh, you know, because I also find promotions, I also can look at the share of managerial jobs. You know, maybe these managers are just creating more possibility for their workers to become managers, but they are also constant. So it doesn't seem that to be at play in terms of, uh, you know, what could be going on. And I just want to say one more thing on the lateral moves. When looking within the two-year assignment, 50% of those moves are precisely within the team. So precisely, you know, on your example. And so I can put some numbers exactly in, in the example you had in mind on, you know, people in the same team now changing job, even remaining under the supervision of the manager. So I looked at these regressions that you are referring to. You mentioned them here uh, that the team doesn't change uh, uh, the type of jobs that they are doing. But these regressions, if, if I understood them correctly, are at a broader level than the team. They are at a sub-function office level, which is going to produce a little bit of measurement error because it's more difficult to match specific workers with a specific manager if you're looking at uh, broader units than just the five people that the manager had under them. It wouldn't change. So it wouldn't change if I look at just the, you know, at the team level. And that's something that I could actually add. The reason to look at subfunction is just because, uh, we, you know, usually that's the unit within which you have, you know, different types of jobs. And so it's a kind of relevant unit when looking at job destroyed and job created. Uh, but I can do this and I have done this. It, I don't think it's in the paper though, at the team level and it wouldn't change my results. But the team level is, is, is that seems the, like the, the most natural way of looking at it, yeah. no? Like a, no, that's a good point. Yeah. Okay. Let me go back to what uh, we were looking at before. So I think that we are still uh, discussing what happens when one of these high flyers enters. And I interrupted you at some point just because wanted to mention a few, comment on a few things that you had said, 
But what are the other effects of a, a high flyer arriving to um, affecting the, the workers in, in, the, in that existing team? Yes. So I think I mentioned about the lateral and the vertical moves. Then um, I also mentioned that these workers upon moving also have higher pay progression. Maybe this is a good time to say that, you know, combining these two outcomes, you know, to understand how much the lateral moves explain the increase in pay, I can do a mediation analysis where I can basically understand how much of the variation in pay is driven by the variation in the job moves that happened before. And the result is that I find an effect of 62%. So the lateral transfers explaining 62% of the higher pay. So th this mediation analysis, I have been thinking about for a very long time. And you are the, the second person that tells me that they did one, you know, in their paper, in this uh, podcast series. And the first person that did this, you know, in a, in a paper on ambulances, I, I asked them, well, that's great. Tell me how it works. And then uh, the author said, I actually don't really believe that mediation analysis is something that the referees ask us to put in the paper. Is this mediation analysis something that we have to take seriously? So I think it's useful. So it can be really interpreted causally because in order for you to interpret it causally, you will need also exogenous variation in the transfers, not just exogenous variation in the manager's assignment. And so definitely in us, it, it needs to be taken with a big grain of salt. What is useful, I think, is mostly, you know, just to give some magnitudes in terms of looking how much basically variation in one of the outcomes can explain variation in the other outcomes since I want to connect the, the two. But isn't, isn't here the, high, the arrival of the high flyer manager a potential instrument for the transfer? Or is it that the exclusion restriction is not holding? Exactly, precisely. So I haven't done an IV because, uh, you know, it's hard to claim that the only way in which a good manager impacts workers is by making them move. Also because if it's about the matching channel, it also has effects on the people that don't move because these people might not move because of a reason, because they're already good in a given place. And so even if we just think about the matching channel, it's hard to make sense of the exclusion restri restriction. Uh, and so that, that's precisely the reason why. But I'm going to be doing some extra uh, exercises on the productivity analysis to really try to understand how the moves uh, relate to the productivity and how it is about the moves that are initiated by the good manager that lead to the productivity gains rather than any other move. Just to, just to emphasize, is it still evidence that uh, speaks to the mechanisms uh, through which the managers are having an impact? Just to uh, underline this. Yeah, 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 no, precisely. So I think the mediation, I think it, it should be taken with some grain of salt because of the assumptions required, but it can be useful just to, you know, you know, to, you know, if you find, you know, 62% variation explained, I think it puts a number into how much, you know, these moves actually can determine in, ter in, in terms of their variation, the other outcome, which is the salary. And then I can do mediation also on productivity and uh, uh, I find there an effect of 44%, but I'm going to talk about productivity measures. So the kind of third part of the paper is uh, to actually understand, you know, are these managers uh, increasing the productivity of these workers? And I think that would alleviate some of this concern that you already raised at the beginning. And so I do that in two steps. The first one is uh, I partner with the country in India, which is the largest country of the multinational, in order to obtain local sales records 
for the entire population of the sales team. This is around 2,000 workers. Now, I had to do this extra step just because the sales performance is not something that the global office has records of. And so you need to partner locally with different teams. And uh, a funny anecdote is that they actually delete a lot of the Excels every year. And so uh, I was lucky to find a window of four years uh, for which they still had the Excels, but I could not go back before 2018 because they just don't keep records. And so that's something that I told them it's actually useful to keep records of these things uh, for some time. Um, now we're looking at the, the measure is a sales bonus. So how it works is for sales team each month, you have a set of KPIs that are determined by the main country office. And they determine, for example, you know, ice creams are much easier to sell in the summer. And so, of course, you have tighter uh, performance KPIs with respect to selling ice cream in winter. And so these are determined by entirely different teams than the sales team. It's the kind of demand planning function. And so you have a set of KPIs um, and uh, each month you can get a, a monthly bonus on top of your pay that is uh, determined by a, a function of how, how much you overshoot or undershoot your KPIs. And the KPI, the, 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 the most common one is, you know, sales of product, but some others are, for example, putting the product on top of the shelf of the supermarket so that customers can find it more easily. So looking at this measure, I can conduct the same event study. Now, because of the limited time window, this is going to be a static effect, but I still have the worker fixed effects. And I can tell you that the, there is an increase in sales bonus by 27%. Now, on this same subsample, I also find that these workers are more likely to have lateral moves. Now, I'm going to address already one question that could come up in terms of, you know, what does it mean to move if you're still a sales worker? There's three main ways for you to change job. One is changing the product you sell. The second is to change the customers you sell to, the type of shops. And the third one is to change city or geography. And so... Basically, what I can do is that on the same subsample of uh, sales workers, I can find higher productivity and also I can document the same effects that I have on the full sample, which is higher pay and higher numbers of lateral moves. I can also do the mediation analysis here with an increase of 44%. If it's a good time, I'm going to do an additional exercise that I do with this sales uh, team, which I think is quite uh, interesting and uh, helpful to understand the matching mechanism. Because basically what I do is to look at the performance of the workers after moving to a better manager. And I'm going to condition on whether they moved or whether they didn't move. So basically I'm looking for workers under a good and a bad manager. I'm going to compare in them, but I'm going to condition on the fact that they had a transfer. And so this is just suggestive because of course I'm basically selecting on the outcome. Uh, but it's just to understand, is it just moving per se, that it's good, or is it about the match? And what I find is that among movers, those who do so because of a good manager have 71% higher sales performance compared of movers that do so under low manager, low flyer manager. So this is uh, comparing movers following managers who are high flyers and movers. Shouldn't you do here the defensive in the sense of, uh, looking at how much the movers increase relative to the non-movers differentially across having a high flyer or a low flyer. That's what I do. Okay, that's great. So then I wanted I wanted to ask you about another type of regression that you have, 
in which you put the pay increase on the left-hand side. Um, that is, you were telling us earlier that following the arrival of a high flyer, um, lots of things happen. One of the things that happens is that the workers have a pay increase. One thing that you find is that this uh, pay increase is the same whether uh, or not the workers change jobs or, or, or in other words, are movers. That seems to me that this is, it is the same type of structure as the regression that you just told us in which productivity was on the left-hand side. And if pay increases following productivity, this type of result seems to be contradicting the earlier mm. evidence. I see. So, uh, yes, the regressions are actually different. different. So, one, uh, the one you're mentioning, the heterogeneity analysis, is comparing movers to non-movers. In particular, it's saying the pay increase effects, are they only occurring for people that change job and not occurring for people that don't change job upon the arrival of the manager? And so, and, and there I document that if I don't find heterogeneous uh, impacts among the movers and non-movers in the sense that even if you don't change job, you gain by having a high flyer manager, which is suggestive of the matching channel because not moving under a high flyer is a different thing than not moving under a low flyer in the sense that one, the, the worker that doesn't move under a high flyer was probably better matched to the job to start with. And so it makes little sense to change job. But then, but then just to, I don't really see the distinction because if I am a worker who is perfectly matched with my current job and I receive a high flyer, my salary may already be high because I'm already productive, but I should not have a pay increase because this high manager has not been able to project their talent discovery abilities on me because there was no talent to discover. I was already perfectly matched. So it is not quite the case that we would expect for this new worker, a pay increase. But, but the important thing is that the comparison that I'm making is with compared to the worker that doesn't move under a low flyer manager. And so with respect to that worker, you know, he is better matched and so has a higher increase. So it is important to understand that the comparison is always basically the equivalent worker that didn't get the chance to get exposed. And so who basically stays in a current job under a high flyer is a different worker in terms of match to job than a worker that also remains in the job, but is under a low flyer. If I understand it well, what you're saying here is that the, the good match to the current job must have dynamic effects as opposed to static effects on your pay. So it might be related, but the point I'm just making is that uh, a worker that remains in the current job under a low flyer might not be well matched. And so, because the low flyer is less able to get basically disentangle, you know, who should go where. And so when you compare people, even people that remain under the same jobs, these are different types of people in terms of their match. If they remain under a high flyer versus a low flyer, that, that's the kind of the intuition that I'm conveying. Any other type of like heterogeneity of the effects that you want to emphasize? So I want to emphasize maybe three heterogeneities that again are speaking towards this channel. And they are one on um, kind of a type of heterogeneities is on the conditions, the environment conditions of the worker in terms of the offices uh, they're in. And so I find stronger effects where the workers are in larger offices and also offices that have a greater number of job diversity. And so that would make sense in the sense, you know, if it's about matching, you need to have a choice of jobs uh, to choose to in, in the same office, given most people don't actually change geography. 
And the second type of heterogeneity is actually on the worker characteristics. And I find that the effects are stronger for younger workers, so just out of um, college, which would make sense again, because these workers basically have little work experience and they still have to discover, you know, how they're going to make use of their talents in the labor market. And so having exposure to a better manager earlier on can be very important in helping them discover what they're good at and then capitalize on that through job allocation and their careers thereafter. So obviously a challenge here is that the value of the match is never directly observed. Like you are you know, being very persuasive in um, inferring it from looking at this way or the other way, you know, with the heterogeneity, a lot of things that you, that you have told us. But one thing that the value of the match or an additional thing, okay, a complementary thing that the additional, that the value of the match should be predictive of is stability. And here I am wondering whether you could do a test along the following lines. Two workers, they have had a transition low to low or low to high, you know, then we, we start counting, let's say, three years later. Hmm? So we don't look at the workers right after the transition, but three years later. Now, whatever job they have three years later should be much more stable for the low to high than for the low to low because the new high flyer has been able to reoptimize the, the job of this worker and therefore has found, I mean, in ideal circumstances, the best possible match whereas the other one hasn't. And therefore, there is still potential for a future new match that will be value-enhancing later on. I think that's a great a great suggestion that I can do. The event study graphs already somehow speak to that in the sense that these workers don't just keep changing job forever. And you see, basically, they converge five years after the initial exposure to basically no additional change in number of transfers. But more directly, I think I could look at uh, basically job-specific tenure, say three years after, as you're saying, um, a given manager, or two years after, I mean, no, three years after, or you know, between three and five years, I can experiment that. I think that's, uh, that's definitely something I can do. Anything else that we have missed? Uh, so I guess uh, I'd like to highlight the and, and, and kind of the additional part of the productivity results, which is at the establishment level. And here I can look again at whether exposure to high flyers managers of the workers correlates with the productivity at the establishment level. So this would be really linking the individual managers' effects through their workers to the overall productivity of an organization. And what I can show is that on both output per worker and also cost per output, a strong association in terms of output per worker is a positive one. In terms of cost per output is a negative one. Both of these together will mean a higher increase in profits when you regress exposure uh, to high flyers as a regressor with the output per worker or uh, cost per output as the outcomes. And so this is the idea that once you take into account the effects that individual managers can have on the workers and how they propagate through the organization, through the workers' careers, then the individual actions of these middle managers can have firm-wide consequences in terms of their productivity. And so that's just in terms of the analysis uh, that I think we haven't mentioned explicitly. Uh, thank you, Virginia, for coming to the podcast. Thank you very much, Jordi. It was a pleasure. Please visit our website, thevisiblehand.uk, for links to the other papers that we discussed, introductory music and logo by Aitana Blanesiso, episode produced by Anderson Tan. 